Voices are exotic dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices in your seduction Welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. Today I have an interview with a nihilist and somebody who's a part of the secular community here in the Denver area. And I wanted to interview him because oftentimes out in the world, I hear people claiming or thinking that religion and religious groups have some sort of monopoly on gathering together, having a, you know a sense of culture or a sense of community. They have their senses of tradition and so on. And and it's not a monopoly. It's a very human thing. It's not a very religious thing. Religion is a human thing, okay? And getting together with people and singing songs or dancing or enjoying fine wines together or whatever culture that you're going to engage in with those people, but communing with people isn't solely religious. It's in fact social, and we are social creatures. Homo sapiens are well known to be of the most complex social creatures in the world, and religion doesn't have a monopoly on that community. So this interview is with a friend of mine who is a part of a secular community and readily and openly engages with other members of that community in his own home and tries to enrich that community with his own personal style. So let's listen in. Why don't you introduce yourself? We have a special, extra special guest this evening with us. Uh, my name is Dan. I am uh, uh, an amateur musician and an atheist, and um, I know Paul tangentially, and we started hanging out and playing music together, so um, glad to be here. Yeah, and so I, let's see, how did, we, we first met at uh, Freedom, no, Recovering from Religion, is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. That's once a month, yep. and is it the first Tuesday, or what's the? First Saturday. Sorry, yeah, first Saturday, and it starts at, what time is it, eleven? Something like that, yeah, like, yeah. We're always late. You're always yeah. late? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, recovering from religion, that's where we met. I met you and Gina. And yep. um, uh, who else did I meet there that night? Did I meet? I met Mike, I think, that night. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few other people, but tell me, what um, when did you start going to recovering from religion and why did you go? Well, my, my wife started before I did. Um, and uh, her experience was different than mine because she was sort of a died in the wool atheist who lived in a strict Catholic family and had to deal with those, uh, you know, the struggles of being forced into a, a mold that she uh, did, you know, quite fit. And um, my experience was uh, a West Virginia fundamentalist church god, you know, uh, sort of a background. So uh, uh, we both were, you know, weary of the, uh, the sort of unadvertised side effects of religion that, you know, and in both of our families, there was a sort of a, a generational pedophilia and uh, lots of other things that were negative, you know, and, and sure. um, there was always the sense that you had to, uh, you know, sort of just swallow whatever the, you know, sickness was in order to keep the, the faith from being embarrassed. Right, right. You know, so, um, we both came from that sort of a understanding of religion, you know, which is a pretty uh, mature one for, you know, children, you know, to have, but it's like when, when you're thrust into that situation, that's what you uh, come out with. So there was something actually to recover from. Exactly. From your yeah, 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 and I think for most of the people that show up there, there is something to recover from, and, and if, if nothing else, then then just the simple fact that that at least within the Christian faith that I was associated with, they they really bully children and they threaten them with you know horrible things, you know, and um, you're at an impressionable age, and you know uh, it, it's, it's, it only acknowledges how harmful it can be to do that. People. Right. So yeah, I, I had some similar experiences. Uh, it doesn't sound like I was as deeply entrenched as you were. I don't know for sure, but um, yeah, I mean, my fear of hell and the devil and demons and imps and and, and ghosts and and just all these things that were supposedly real and they were real based on what the people believed around me. Some of them religious beliefs and some of them just superstitions or or misunderstandings of reality, but I was was meant to be afraid of them. I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what they wanted me to be, was afraid, you know, for myself, for my soul and stuff like that. And so I can totally empathize with that. Now, did you, who did you meet at Recovering from religion that you've like kept in touch with well I mean one of the tenets of that uh, group is that we don't discuss them out other people who are in I mean this is actually for people who have had trauma from religion there we've, we've had um, you know excuse me Muslim uh, participants who feared for their very lives if their families found out that they were um, trying to escape the faith yeah that they were apostate yeah and you, you know you 
just talking to people, um, you, you come to a real sense that um, all conservative religious ideologies come from the same place in the human psyche, whatever it is, the same, you know, hole, basically. And yeah. um, Is that the God-shaped hole? <laughs> yeah, it must be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trying to fill with booze and women and drugs. Gosh, you know, maybe you're, you're you better off doing that than yeah. filling it with something imaginary. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can at least moderate what's real. You can't moderate magic. Right. You know, it's limitless and you're powerless against it. Yeah. You know, so um, th- th- I think that's why it's so effective, too. I mean, you know. Yeah, you do feel powerless. I felt powerless for years. Yeah. You, but thank ta- you for putting me in my place. So you can't tell me who's in that group because that's a confidential group. For any listeners out there, and you, if you're if you're nervous, um, this is a safe, that's the secular hub is a safe place. And the recovering from religion group is not, is not going to betray that trust. And you have proof positive right here. I mean, no, yeah. I would say this though, by the time that most people get to the recovering from religion group, they have mostly made up their mind that whatever faith that they it was thrust upon them. And that's what happens with faith is that it becomes something that, that, you know, uh, your parents or your grandparents or whoever, you know, sort of force upon you, Yeah, yeah. you know, they, they burden so most people are along a little bit farther along in their journey before they even make it to recovering from religion because you know desperation you know incites a lot of positive action sure. you know maybe a lot of negative action too but um, in the case of people you know leaving faith um, you get to a point where there's no other choice then you have to do that and I think that's where a lot of people end up yeah, yeah. as I was saying to you earlier uh, one of the things I wanted to really showcase in this episode was uh, secular culture mm-hmm. and and how rich it is and how welcoming and warm it is and how non-judgmental it tends to be although we have judgments on people right I mean people come over and talk shit or, or make asses of themselves or or even you know I think we were talking about a Krampus party from years back where somebody just sort of showed up and sort of yeah. crashed your party and you guys were yeah. like oh my god this sucks you know but but it's not um, it's we're not damning anybody to hell which is nice no and then we're also not um, I feel like the judgments are more valid mm-hmm. it's because you were an asshole or it's because you were cool. did something rude or you know mean it wasn't cool. because you're gay or because right. you're just who you are sure. and that's for some reason against the rules sometimes so, uh, people you know don't live up to the standard whatever it is yeah yeah I mean social norms I, I just think the secular community what I'm trying to say I think the secular community is much more uh, forgiving for one and then also oh, yeah. accepting so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your uh, Krampus part yeah so tell me tell me about Krampus what is what is Krampus well Krampus um, was a pagan age demon that uh, got it, um, its own day or I don't remember I don't know if it was a week or whatever, but there's like Krampus knock, which is like supposed to be like uh, de- December sixth, and uh, that's when Krampus, this demon, uh, comes and punishes naughty children, yeah. and not just punishes them, but in gruesome, horrible ways. You know, he dismembers children and eats them, and you know, it, it's, it's just a horrible thing. Look it up. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Krampus is spelled K. I thought it was C. Yeah, no, it's K R A M P U S. Yeah, and it's an Austrian thing. Yeah. In fact, um, I, I worked with an Austrian guy and he told me when he was a child in Austria that he would, uh, there was a certain storefront that had a, um, a Krampus head displayed in the storefront and he would cross the street to avoid it. That's oh, really? how, yeah. yeah, frightened he was of it because it was, you know, something they always talked about, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a good example of how, how credulous children are and why it's so important that we don't feed them bullshit because yeah. um, it, it affects them. It, yeah, it does. Them. It's a yeah. lifelong scar that you give them when you teach them to uh, uh, expect stupid things to be, you know, uh, reality. Yeah. It's, it's not how it is. Well, I, so I looked at Krampus right yeah. before I came here, maybe a couple hours ago or whatever. And to your understanding, is Krampus a uh, contemporary of St. Nick, of, of the ancient Santa Claus legend? I don't know if they're even sort of related, other than the fact that they both happen in December, and one is sort of like the antithesis of the other one. Yeah. You know, like Santa's all about ho-ho, and there's yeah. your gifts and all that, and Krampus is about, you know, it's time to pay the fiddler. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I wonder if, if Santa collects the data, who's naughty, who's nice. And then uh, and Krampus just gives it to Krampus yeah, on exactly. December 1st and goes, these are yeah. the kids you should go murder. Uh, or you got the red pen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're gone. <laughs> 
Well, obviously the the party is tongue in cheek, right? I mean, it's yeah. Obviously, we do not believe joke, in big demons or atheists, right? Yeah, totally. But so, what gave you the idea to start a Krampus party? And I think you you dress up as Krampus, right? You are Krampus at the party. I am Krampus at the party. Oh, yes. Uh, what gave us the idea was we we learned about Krampus one Christmas time. Uh, we went to a um, backing up a little bit uh, when when my wife and I got into the Denver atheist community it was through a group called Daft that that used to exist. And and uh, it was to a friend we met there that uh, we saw a video on YouTube one night at one of their parties yeah. about Krampus. And they had this um, parade. You know, this was in Austria where there all these Krampi were marching down the street and, and people were bringing their children to the, you know, the edges of this parade. And, and the Krampus would run out of the, you know, a parade and grab a small child and carry it off. And, um, you know, it was just hilarious. You know, yeah. the, the child, of course, would be freaked out as hell. Yeah, they were like, they took it pretty seriously. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was just hilarious. And, and so rather than um, celebrate traditional Christmas, because we are you know, not traditional people, sure. um, we started, we had a first Krampus party. And unfortunately, we had open enrollment. And so, <laughs> you know, we've learned since then to be more selective about yeah, who we right. let go. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's been a great one. Yeah, no, I had a great time at the party. And, yeah, this year will be our sixth party. It's the sixth year this year. Okay. It, it was actually seven years ago that we started it, but we skipped a year. Between one and two, because <laughs> the uncertainty, you know, Is that meetup yeah. request or whatever you guys did, yeah, due to the uh, you know open enrollment policy of the first one, <laughs> we we had. I don't want to say undesirable people, just people that don't really get fit. Didn't quite work out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. Say that. yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. That's a nice way. <laughs> you know, who's not selective in life? You know, people that, that will befriend just anyone? I don't know. I think they get caught up in the raid, you know? Yeah. I think you kind of have to be. You have to be a little bit selective in life. They use you for things or they, they're, of they're course. not yeah. reciprocate. They don't exactly. reciprocate, you know? Exactly. So you're, you're the kind of person that gives a lot of yourself or your time or whatever, and yeah. they don't reciprocate that because. I think people need to feel guilty about saying, I, I don't want to associate with you. Yeah, Un- no, you shouldn't. Unkind, uncool. You whatever have person, to tell them why. You just say it's not working out. Yeah, right. Whatever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. No, no. But I think in our current society, that's what we do. We just try to embrace our guilt all the time, you know. And it's fine to be responsible. It's another thing to be self-deprecating. You yeah. know, humans aren't that bad. Just be a good one, and you know, let the rest work itself out. And the other thing too is like your good might be some might bother somebody else. A lot of it is just personal preference, yeah. right? Like a lot of the people that maybe. I don't associate with they're not bad people they're just not my kind of maybe right. they like things I don't like or they exactly. like to do things I don't like to do exactly. like most things aren't bad themselves. they're just things I don't dig yeah right. I just don't dig doing them. let me ask you this real quick so right. um, at the party this year so this was my first year this last year uh, 2018 was the first year I went to this party I was very lucky to go I thought no no it's fine um, I know we've known of each other for about three years but we just sort of became friends at the Krampus party and then thereafter yes um, other than saying just hello at functions or whatever things that we were mutually going to, like secular hub events, science talks, stuff like that. Um, but I was really blown away by the showmanship of the party, mm-hmm. by uh, the sock exchange. You mm-hmm. guys exchanged socks. Sock swap. Sock swap. Spectacular yeah. sock swap. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. I got uh, Bob Ross uh, had yep. a little accident socks, yes. and they were awesome because they matched my suit, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you guys also had sort of a, a little, it was, I don't want to say it was a play, but you had a musical interlude or Mm-hmm. A, a show that you put yes, on is show. It was about it was about it was about celebration. It was about Krampus. It was a t- it was sarcasm. It was a lot. When did you start doing the music and the show? When did you start? Mm-hmm. That, when did you get that idea? The first two years, um, we would do the sock swap, and I had this rubber devil mask that I would wear, and I would be Krampus, and I would pass out the socks and everything, uh, and uh, that was great. But on year three, I um, decided that I wasn't going to wear that you know fucking devil mask anymore because it was uncomfortable and uh, yeah and then I uh, had written a couple songs it was actually a, a rap song that I had done um, that was like the second in a series uh, related to each other uh, and we can talk about that later if you want to but uh, I don't know about you rapping I was like I'll, I'll take your word for it yeah it can happen um, yeah, I'm from the hood you know? yeah so uh, anyway decided I was gonna perform the song and so I um, did the weasel song and I uh, got you know we're always so lucky to have um, a lot of friends volunteer at our 
party to do stuff because it's become more than just one party. It's a um, six or seven parties all year long, you know, related to it because you have rehearsals and yeah, you know, work things out. Yeah, it's good. You know, it's always an excuse to have another get together. Yeah, I hope I'm invited to the next big get together. I can, yeah, I can do stuff. In. I can do stuff for you. You're always in. cool. So um, yeah, so that's how it started. Um, I did that first one, and then the, the next year, you know, we each time we're looking for a new theme because there's a new theme every time. You know, um, parties one and two didn't really have a theme, but um, party three had the theme Rise of the Weasel. So it, it always leaves us open to go back to the Weasel again. That was one of the rap songs, and then the next year it was uh, Grampus, and I, I did a rap song I wrote uh, about being old. Uh, <laughs> now you're not that old. I know, but uh, to say you're old, but, but I, you know, I mean, you're pretty. Old. You know, yeah, exactly. You have to, yeah. only have to be fifty to get AARP card. So yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that's what it was. It was the take on that old uh, song, um, but changed it up a little bit and made it. Uh, you down with AARP? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. So, uh, so I did that one, and then um, actually, 2018 was the last party. So that would have been the third performance that I've done. Okay. And um, and on that one, we did the No I and Merca. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, Don't Fuck with Krampus song. Yeah, I don't think uh, in the audio you sent me, we don't have Don't Fuck with Krampus, right? But we have Merca. No, you don't. I mean, just, you know, these are two songs I wrote for the party. Yeah, yeah. But as, as being a part of that party for the first time, there was, there was like a sense of community and kind of family. There was like a sense of belonging. Yeah. And, and yeah. a lot of it had to do with, with like what you said, other people that were engaged in the actual making of the party. It wasn't just like you and Gina. It was like 20 people yeah, all right. taking responsibility, all being sort of behind the scenes, yeah. all pulling together. It's all partially theirs, you know, so yeah. it's their party too. You know? Yeah, and, and yeah. That was really cool. I don't know. Everybody really enjoys it. Yeah, no, I had a great time. I, I better be invited personally to the next no, one. Right. Then maybe I could have a plus. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> maybe. So we, we were just talking about Gina a little bit, and mm-hmm. you referred to her as your uh, wife. Yeah, we got married in 2007. It was really my idea. I mean, I was the one that wanted to get married, and it just just because, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's, it's one of those uh, sort of residual, you know, um, vestigial sort of cultural things that you can't get rid of if you're raised within that culture, yeah. you know. And so, like we were talking about earlier, and so, um, I don't know, it was my idea. We did it. It was fun. We, we didn't go with any kind of a traditional marriage. We yeah. got married by a black Elvis. And, you know, Where we, this? we got married right here in my backyard on my patio. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we didn't say I do. We said, uh-huh. And it was just a bunch of different stupid things. And, you know, we had like uh, an Elvis, you know, because of the Vegas. We had a Vegas theme. Did I say that? No, no, not yet. But yeah. yeah, yeah. We had a I Vegas kind of, yeah, theme. Yeah, yeah. That's where the black Elvis came in, obviously. Yeah. So it fit into that. And... My sister's all dressed up like hookers, and <laughs> you know, it was great. It, it was just like too fucking fun, yeah. You know, yeah, no, it sounds great. Yeah, so that's the thing, dude. You guys always have a good yeah. time, you always come up with something really interesting and fun. That's why you guys are my first pick for like the culture <laughs> episode. Like, who are the kinds of people, yeah. you're gonna meet at the secular hub? Now, not everybody's like you, no, they, uh, not everybody's like me, yeah. but of like the rich culture that you could find, you guys kind of dig the deepest. I mean, you're, you're into cigars, you're into bourbon, you're into barbecue, you're into good food, yes. cross-cultural I'm food. I'm a hedonist. Yeah, yes. you're into lots of people and community and social networks and you play music and yeah. and you're cool enough to invite me to play drums for you and no, or with awesome. you, you know what I mean? So it's just like, it, 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 obviously it runs deep. Like, is there is there something you can speak to about that? Like, where does that come from? Or is it just who you are? Mm. How, how, how you was raised? Uh, we never had parties. We didn't have a lot of parties at my house or anything like that. My parents weren't, you know, they couldn't afford to be that and they were you know they weren't cool people they just weren't you know um, but I was exposed to some cool people and I grew up at a really cool time in the country and in a really cool place in a way I mean you know uh, what was that was it the 70s 60s yeah I was born in 64 okay you know so So I was born in East Cleveland formative years in the 70s yeah and and, you know we grew up in a black neighborhood and my father sort of refused to participate in the white flight of the time where you know um, I don't know if what I do has anything to do with my sense of culture, honestly. It's just, what do I enjoy doing? You know, how, how, how much fun is it to participate in something like this, you know? So, yeah. Well, I think it, when I call it culture, I mean, it's like you, you have an inclusivity. There's, there's, it's not just something you like to do. You like to do it with other people, which sort of builds a culture. So yeah. it's like a, yeah. it's like a social 
socialized culture where we get together and we talk and we smoke cigars in your backyard sure. and we eat pulled pork and we talk of shit and you know we play music and, and yeah. like that that part of it I think is more of a culture. Well, I mean that's one one aspect of it certainly I mean yeah. you can you can have some kind of camaraderie with people that doesn't really revolve around you know magical sky men or anything yeah. you know yeah. and um, but the community is much bigger than that I mean there's a lot of people within it that wouldn't necessarily enjoy smoking cigars with us no but, right but right. we can bond over you know in watching a speaker at the hub and, and you know expanding your mind you know uh, yeah the hub has great speakers yeah, they yeah. have such good science they talks do. and they do. social talks there, there is a whole community out there. There are cool people. There are people to be friends with. There are, you know, substitutes for, um, you know, being in, in an oppressive sort of uh, community where people just judge all the time, you know. Yeah. And, and, and you can't question in those communities, right? I mean, to me, that's the big drawback of, yeah. of being in a religious community or in a religious culture is questioning is against the rules. And yeah. here, in this kind of community, in this kind of culture, questioning is, is, is something that everybody encourages of everybody else. Yeah, Even if they're stupid questions, it's still, let's get them out of the table. the foundation of our, yeah. our belief system, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I made the point in my last RFR meeting that um, a faith that, that they can't expand beyond itself, you know, to, to accept new realities as they come into view, that's a worthless faith. We're not we're not static beings. We're dynamic beings. I'm not the same person I was when I was 20, and I won't be the same person when I'm 70 that I am now. You know, you learn new lessons, and you, you know, you accept new things as you as you grow, and um, hopefully that doesn't stop. So how can you have a, a stagnant, you know, static faith? It, yeah. it, it has it's to change, or it's, it? or it's useless. Yeah, it, it always made me feel empty and, and, and disheartening when I when I thought about it yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I never really wanted like somebody to love me additionally and watch everything I do and yeah. you know, the loving father. I never wanted no. like that doesn't comfort. That creeps me out. That'd be like if I caught my roommate watching me have sex through my window in my bedroom. You know what yeah. I mean? be like, what are you doing? If I had been offered that version of God, I probably would have kept on it, yeah. you know. But yeah. the version of God that I got was always looking for an excuse to toss you into a lake of fire. <laughs> okay. And, you know, yeah. only by being ultra vocal about, you know, um, how much you love him could you possibly redeem yourself, you know. Yeah. He had to see it all the time. Well, and he asks for the impossible. How do you love something that you can't know in any way, shape, or form? I mean, sometimes I barely love the people that I know the best. And I love them. I love those people. Sometimes I'm like, man, you are really rubbing me the wrong. You know, it's like, yeah. I need some space or whatever. Sometimes it's hard to love the people you know for a fact exist and care about you. What about these pe- this being that supposedly exists? You have no identification with them. You have nothing to look at, nothing to see, taste, touch, smell, nothing. How do you even love something like that? It's we like, we kick the word there. love around like it, like it, you know, it's a, it's a Swiss Army word. Yeah. You know, so, like people use the word love, but they don't, they don't assign any rational meaning to it. It's just something I feel, you know, yeah. no. If you want to make love useful, and if you want to, you know, make God something more than just, uh, you know, an abstract concept, love has to be um, an action. It has to be something tangible. Yeah, you know, it has to be some kind of form of selflessness. You know. Uh, my brother hates it when I use the word transcendence, but I mean, you know, to transcend the average common, you know, monkey behavior of men and women. Yeah. You know? So if you could do that, if you could actually be able to tell what love is and, you know, identify it when you see it, then, um, you know, to talk about God being love is meaningless. It does, you know, it's just... Uh, it doesn't make any sense. No, no, it's, not, it's nonsense. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like love to be something tangible, something that I can see. I often equate it to, uh, you know, you hear people say uh, to their children or whatever when their children are, are wondering whether their dad loves them or their mom loves them or something, and they ask maybe their grandma or they ask, you know, whatever, the other parent, and, you know, maybe there's a divorce or something happens, mm-hmm. and they say, does daddy love me, you know? And people say, of course your dad loves you. There's, n- there's no possible way that he could, but dad doesn't come around, dad doesn't say it, dad doesn't hug, dad doesn't spend any time with me. You know what I mean? Like, those are, there are kids that go through that and then they think that how is that love yeah, like love not. has to actually manifest that it doesn't do me any good if dad loves me mm-hmm. and doesn't have any way to show me right so I'm, I'm with you I'm with the whole no, someone love saying they manifest. love you while they neglect yeah. you is bullshit yeah that's, that's just a contradiction if that's love then I don't want to have anything to do with that and that's how I feel about God right mm-hmm. God isn't doing me any favors and I don't see any I mean obviously I don't believe in God but this loving God concept is like where is the love none, it's not there it's all 
in their head. You know, yeah. I like manifesting. I like manifesting life. But you know, there's so much theater in religion. Yeah. You know, so yeah. as such, it's it's sort of you know uh, immune to nuance. You know, it doesn't have time for all that. It deals in bumper stickers and platitudes and you know things that make you feel good in the instant without actually offering any long-term wisdom. Right. You know. Yeah, the nuance is often um, superimposed onto it by better thinkers of modern day. You know, you hear you hear people that sure. that have an intellectualized understanding of yeah. religion, and they add all the the gray area and the nuance yeah. and the spectrums and all that. Yeah. If you really read the book, if you look at the people that wrote it, it's more contradictory than anything else. But after that, there's really not a lot of nuance. <laughs> it's not hate gay people only if they try to murder you, <laughs> right? It's well, like it's like just gay people because I said so. You know what I mean? No, there's there's yeah, no nuance. It says they're there's, an abomination. There's, yeah, there's no spectrum there. It's yeah. like well, what? Not everybody's all the way gay. What about those people that are bisexual? Are they cool? Right. You know, it doesn't have any of those answers. That's right. That's yeah. That's yeah. So we were just talking about religion. Yeah. What, of what are your current thoughts on sort of the religious state that we find ourselves in? I mean, just to, just to throw in a little bit more there. Well, I mean, I think it. You know, each generation sees religion. Their religion evolve, whether they admit it or not. You know, and I'm definitely seeing an evolution of religion, or maybe it's a some kind of cyclical thing. But it, um, as I, what I'm seeing is that people are leaving religion. Yeah. They're leaving the nuns are organized way religion. Up. Um, I, I, I did yes. some work in my job at a, at a parochial school um, recently, and the lady there was limiting the fact that they were going to have to go down to just uh, kindergarten and first grade because um, they couldn't get them, you know, uh, students in the door to be able to keep the doors open, you know. Right. So they, they um, the most efficient course of action was to cut classes. Yeah. Or, you know, instead of going up to eighth grade, they just do kindergarten and first grade. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, secretly, when I heard that, I celebrated. When she was telling me how parochial schools all over are struggling, and, you know, that, that seemed like a positive change to me. Yeah. And then, on the other hand, you know, I see that the religious rhetoric is still very pop culture positive. And it's still, you know, there's still the, the what I call the false moral credentials of faith that exists. And I don't know how you fight against that. I don't know how you, you know, rest that, um, you know, what they've sort of taken to themselves, that, that uh, superiority complex. I don't know how you take that from, yeah. you know, again, magic is limitless. And so they, they have no um, you know, sense of duty to the, our shared reality. Well, once they once they get indoctrinated and they find themselves on the moral side of the art, which the religious overwhelmingly do, it, you're right. It's very difficult to pull them over to the correct side. And I don't mean like yeah. the right side or the side I prefer. I mean the actual evidentially correct side. It's 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 very complicated. That's why we still have so many problems with abortion yeah. uh, and women's rights and yeah. gay and lesbian rights. And I mean, this is all pressure coming from the religious and it's so clearly immoral and they're so clearly immoral even the even the story of Jesus himself just picking on the Christians for a second here is completely immoral to murder your son to scapegoat for the sins of others that is I wouldn't I wouldn't want that for me mm-hmm. if somebody said Jesus died for you I'd say no I don't he didn't die for me I don't want that you know yeah. I wouldn't want somebody to die for me that'd be that's horrible I, I, I guess I had mixed feelings. I mean, there was, you know, there was a time when I was um, still a Christian where I, you know, the book of Matthew had a lot in it that I sort of clung to, you know, sure. to give it, to give the Bible moral legitimacy. And then whenever I was pissed off at somebody, you know, it'd be one of the books that Paul wrote, you know, and um, I'd find something nasty in there, you know. <laughs> right. and, um, a letter to the Corinthians or some shit. Yeah, whatever, you know. Philippians, whatever it is. Yeah. So anyway, you know, you can take or leave whatever you want out of it. You know, they people... Christians always call other people cafeteria Christians where you pick and choose. Yeah. Well, you, or the you, wrong Christian. You fucking better pick and choose. You know, I mean. The only decent, only a decent person would. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Only a decent person would pick and choose. Yeah, from that book, especially. From any book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. there's no magic and there's no, you know, uh, magical punishments for not believing in magic. Mm-hmm. So be good, you know, I mean, right now. Well, in uh, Ain't No High in America, mm-hmm. you have a religious spin, you also have mm-hmm. a little bit of political spin um, politically what do you see happening now like what's your what's your take on what we're seeing in the United States politics? I don't know I feel like uh, it's a little bit crazy you know? and they keep using the word constitutional crisis to describe what's happening to subpoenas and everything and yeah you're talking um, about the White House yeah and we are divided as hell you know yeah is this really that much different though than like W um, Junior Bush or is it really that much different than some of the stuff we saw in the past or I mean do you see do you see a stark contrast to previous presidencies hmm. you made a good point I mean, I guess it's an angry time in country. Whether or not the basis for it is, is you know, viable. Yeah. So um, there, 
does seem to be more anger yeah. maybe than in the past. George W. had a lot of uncertainty yeah. from our side. Yeah. We were like, "What's what? What is he doing? You know, yeah. what are we? What are we doing? Why are we in Iraq or whatever?" But right now, it seems like we're really angry because we're seeing this alt right push. Yeah. We're seeing the fundamentalists prop up Trump. We're seeing just odd behavior, odd yeah. behavior that we can't. I can't. I can't square it. I can't figure out why a fundamentalist would support Trump other than they want Roe v. Wade overturned, and Trump seems to be the puppet to do it. Uh, yeah, that's scary as hell. But uh, you know, what is? It? I, I have to be honest when I. Say I'm a little bit pessimistic about what's happened. Trump has a lot of support. Yeah, he still does. Yeah. It's low in comparison to former presidents, but it's still in the 30s and 40 percentiles. Or percentages are in the 30s and 40s. That's yeah. that's a lot of people. It is. It is. And I meet you know you meet them occasionally. A lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A few run-ins. Is it? Yeah. Just get a guy at work today. Uh, he was talking about uh, Caitlyn Jenner about and it transitioned into uh, how he thought that uh, two men getting married to each other was the same as uh, a pedophile marrying a child. Or a, or a man marrying a horse or, you know, like he thought that, you know, bestiality and pedophilia and uh, homosexuality were just three sides of the same Rubik's Cube, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just, I, I was sort of shocked because the guy was really friendly and I liked the guy, but I mean what a fucking dick thing to say. I mean, <laughs> I know. how stupid can you be? And then, uh, you know, the other guy that was in the room sort of said to him, well, I know you're very religious. And it's like, oh, that is excusing it? I mean, yeah. it's okay because he's religious to be, you know, that ignorant and, and bigoted, really? Oh, man. I just, I, you know, I don't know what to say. I was sort of speechless, you know? Yeah. I think I think if that as an excuse the well, you, I know you're real religious. I think when we, when, when we see people that are just so outwardly ignorant, like you said, mm-hmm. that is the only excuse. I can't think of another. Have you heard of another excuse for that? I mean, it, it's an excuse in the sense that only the religious can be that ignorant, right? I mean, can you think of another group of people that can just well, I don't think dogma necessarily. Yeah, I, I don't think that ignorant. Man, I think that no, I think that that humanity like is perpetually ignorant and perpetually surprised by it. We always have higher expectations for what than what we can actually achieve. You know, it's just who we are. We're just you know hopeful monkeys. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, yeah. the ass is getting scratched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's some of that pessimism. I don't, I, I don't disagree with you. I just, I'm trying to think of another group where you could you could hear something that ignorant and be like, oh, well, it's because he's really religious. Is there any other, like, oh, well, it's because... Oh, he's, he's you know, doesn't like broccoli. Yeah, yeah. there's no other... Uh, there's no other There's no, no other excuse, quote-unquote. No. It's not an excuse. And but, I understand I mean, why you're like... That's the sort of privilege it. that the majority enjoy. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we who are not in the majority have to sort of live with it. Yeah. And we have to keep our head low yeah. and keep it in the closet sometimes because, you know, nobody wants to be the bad guy at work yeah. or the, you know, the, the neighbor who nobody will call cops if someone's breaking in or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. You you never know how it manifests, but, you know, you can't be that obviously vilified and still, you know, uh, have that, not have repercussions for you. Mm -hmm. So I remember a mild job. uh, You remember when the whole Adrian Peterson story broke when he was beating his kid Mm -hmm. with a switch and his kid was all bloodied up and shit? I got beat with a switch when I was a kid. Did you really? Yeah, it's like a West Virginia tradition. Oh, great. You you know, if a kid fucks up really bad, you make him go pick his own switch. Yeah. You know. Did they use a rule of thumb? Uh, you know... I, I think that they were a little bit kinder than that, but you know, <laughs> there was the rule inherent in that um, game where if you pick a switch of too small, if it breaks, the parents go out and they pick their own switch, oh. which is going to be hefty and more painful. Yeah, they were going to yeah. give you a good wallop. But yeah, I mean, you know, because again, conservative religious ideology breeds corporal, you know, sort of. I yeah, shit. Yeah, they're, they're definitely more. Um, and maybe their children, you know, the ones that are good, you know, quote unquote good, they, they do act the part better than your average kid who, you know, feels free to ask questions or not cut his hair the certain way that you want him to or wear the certain clothes that you want him to, you know, express himself. But um, that's repression. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know, but that's yeah. still what we look at and, and commend. Look how oppressed your children are. Yeah, look, at look how in a box they are. They are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. four little squares. You must be very proud. Yeah, you know. They're going to grow up and yeah, be hookers point. and drug dealers one day. Maybe, yeah. I hope yeah. you're happy. That's a good point. It's a good point. We do actually look on that as good in some sense, uh, societally. Not just to finish the anecdote, so I'm at my old job, and a bunch of people are standing around talking about how they think it's a good thing to hit your kids. Yeah. And I turned around, because they were right around my cube, and I was like, you guys, I think we can all agree that we shouldn't be hitting defenseless people, no matter who they are. We shouldn't hit them, right? right. You should only hit people as, as a method of self-defense. 
difference. Yeah. Whether it's a handicapped person or a disabled person of some other fashion or type, whether it's a child or just somebody who's defenseless, somebody with no arms and no legs, for instance, or somebody whatever, right, that's tied up. That's why cops can't hit people that are in handcuffs because they're subdued. It's illegal. It's a felony. I think we should all agree. We should be able to agree that you shouldn't be able to hit your kids. I was like, I can't believe you guys are having this conversation. We're talking about Adrian Peterson and you guys are supporting Adrian Peterson. I was blown away. And yeah. and something like three-fourths of them were religious and the other ones were just pro-beating kids, I guess. I don't know. So I, I hear Strange, a lot of though. that. It's uh, one of those weird yeah. social things. When you hear a lot of the comedians talking, there's a lot of, you yes. know, that white people don't beat their kids enough, yes. you know, type of jokes. And it's like, oh, Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I mean, what's enough, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Until you're satisfied. You know, know? I always said, if I ever became a father, I always said, I might actually like slap or hit my kid once. Right. If I really needed to get their attention. So like, let's say they just ran into the street. Yeah. And I had to pull them out of the street. And I was like, don't ever do that again. Smack. You know what I mean? Just like to, but I I still don't think I would do that. But I thought like, what would, you know, I would lose my mind maybe. I'd make a mistake. You make mistakes. Yeah. As a parent or just as a person in general. Yeah. What might that look like? And I thought maybe that would be it. But I would never like say you should hit your kids for running in the street. Yeah. But I could see I, making a mistake. So, you know, just keep, I think sometimes it's spontaneous, you know. Sure. Because parents react the way they react. I remember getting this back in one time where my dad caught me just about to throw a match into a bucket of gasoline. <laughs> and uh, apparently that's not a good thing to do. I guess not. And uh, yeah, so he sort of whipped me all the way home. But uh, yeah, you know, I deserved it. I, I definitely felt like, you know, that was bad uncalled for. So, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, you could have, like, blown up the ground. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even as a kid, in retrospect. You could think, you know, maybe save my ass a little bit on that one. Yeah. Because that yeah. was dangerous. Well, and I think you bring up a good point that people make mistakes, too. I mean, you just yeah. blow your cool. People are dumb. You fucking, you lose it, and you start hitting, and you don't even realize yeah. it, and then you're like, oh my god, what am I doing? Yeah. And I, I can see that. Right? So, when I met you and your wife, mm-hmm. uh, you had said to me that told her during you guys met speed dating you told her maybe you didn't tell her during speed dating but you, I thought it was early on yeah that uh, it was something like this and I'm paraphrasing it was something like you know I don't really want to go to heaven I just want to find a place where I can listen to music and chill um, it was something like that yeah well that's pretty close to what I said was it? Okay. yeah 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 that was the point anyway I mean, she mean, said I'll date you if you build me a closet out of yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you put give me a place to put my clothes that's yeah. right the <laughs> what, did, what did you tell her though what was it because it was really sweet it was at the speed date and um, for some reason you know and I, I someone else I might have actually taken it a weird way but I don't know she didn't seem she seemed genuine you know and she um, said so when you leave what do you want to take with you know oh that's right yeah yeah. and I said uh, you know my the memories of the people I love in my song you know and um, that, that was you know I just knew that the, the, the presumption was you know if you can take anything with you. It's not, you know, necessarily her saying that there's some place where we're going to end up because right. I don't, you know. It's just the thing people say. Yeah, because yeah. It, it feels good in the moment, you know. Yeah. A sort of, you know, spiritual masturbation in a sense. But yeah, so comes, what? It comes you know, you, yeah. there's nothing wrong with either variety. If it, it you know, as long as it's not delusion, right? No. As long as you know you're just doing it to comfort yourself. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not trying to convince yourself to murder other people. Yeah. You know. But anyway, um, yeah. So she asked me a sort of a spiritual question right off the bat. That and I answered it that way, and yeah. the rest is history. But she said she knew she liked you right away. At least that's what she said at what I met. She did. I, I was uncertain about her because uh, I thought she was rich. She carries herself with a sort of a you know a dignity that I you know took as her being rich and me being from poor hillbilly stock. I'm perpetually sort of self conscious about the fact that I'm not rich. So you know I don't know. It's, it's even though I, I don't necessarily think that women are superficial in that way. I happen to know that it does make a difference. You know, if you have a couple of dimes rubbed together, you're going to get farther along than uh, you know, the guy who doesn't, sure. who's also a hillbilly. It does seem to matter <laughs> to a lot of people. That's right. I mean, you know, there's really good looking people who, you know, they don't have to have a damn thing, you know. But, yeah, some of them. Yeah. Uh, you see those guys and you're just like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, and women too. I mean, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. I was having a discussion with a friend of ours last night at dinner and he's a younger guy and he was talking about, you know, how he had put this uh, girl up and let her live with him and free, and before that it was a different guy, and it was like, well, yeah, when you're a beautiful woman, you don't necessarily have to pay rent in this world if you don't want to. Sometimes it's just, yeah, I mean, that seems to be how it is sometimes. Yeah. You know, 
but uh, not all the time. No, not, not all the time. But some women, you know, they, they don't want anybody to give I've them anything. I've met some of those people. I've so, met some yeah, people, I mean, men and women. No, but, that's right. But mostly women yeah. that I've oh, met no. anyway. Kato Kalin yeah. was one of yeah, those, yeah, you know, didn't yeah. just satisfied to just, yeah. you know, suckle at the teeth yeah. of someone else, yep. you know, who actually did something. Yeah. That would be murder, but I mean, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying. Not convicted. No. 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 Um, tell me more about music, man. When did you start playing music? Started playing music probably when I was 17, but I started writing songs when I was a small child, actually. I remember just making up songs, and wordplay was always sort of a fun thing for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was natural. And then, you know, because I had sort of a rough childhood in some ways, you know, that I think that, that pain, um, it, it fertilizes creativity, you know, it nurtures creativity people. It, you know, creative outlets are very common among people who have some sort of a childhood issue or whatever or something, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, there's Kurt Cobain's, you know, who ended up killing himself, you know, there's a lot of those, but I mean, he's just an example. Yeah. And I, I yeah. mean, um, just because somebody is famous or a songwriter or, you you know, they have a lot of money doesn't mean they're happy. And, you know, a lot of rich, famous people are unhappy and they're very creative too, you know, and right. um, we get a lot more pleasure out of their stuff than they do, you know. Seems like. Yeah. Yeah. We get more pleasure out of their stuff than they seem to get out of our money. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get that the good side of the exchange. Yeah, the trade-off seems to be in our favor. So what kinds of stuff are you listening to right now? Uh-huh. What kind of music? Whatever's on the radio that I listen to. I mean, you know, classic rock stuff. Yeah. Um, I've got a friend, though. He's a, you know, my wife is, is more eclectic musical tastes or, you know, musical experience. She, she's into albums and she buys a lot of stuff. So she's had to actually expose me to a lot of stuff. But, um, you know, just in my life, I've listened to a lot of different music. So um, I've got, you know, I've got a friend who, a uh, client who turned me on to a bluegrass band called In the Devil makes three. I don't know if you've heard of them. Oh, yeah. You know, just stuff like that and, and a couple of acts. What's your What's your favorite all-time, all-time band? Favorite all-time band? It doesn't have to be all-time. It's just what, what's, what do you think your favorite is right now? It's probably the, the Rolling Stones all-time favorite. I mean, you know, yeah. I always thought they were better than the Beatles and they had more, um, they were grittier, you know, yeah. less wholesome. You know, that wholesomeness, you know, just it always irked me, you know, wholesomeness did, you know, because it always seems to be an act, you know. Yeah. That, that, that motherfucker fucker in the bow tie he's he's diddling someone yeah. you know yeah. it's just how the world works you know yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, t- I'll take the, the the dirt I can see over the dirt I can't see you yeah. know and um, so that's that's around that, but um, I always liked the Stones too. Yeah, I yeah. was a big Beatles fan growing up because my mom was such a big fan. Yeah, well, we would I am a to Beatles that together, fan. so it's like we would. That was some a part of us, you know. Yeah. It was a part of our relationship. Well, we have a big yeah. Beatles picture in our dining room. Oh no, I know you're a Beatles fan. We have saying. Beatles over the television. I know? get it. I, I kind of preferred the Stones too, and, and for the same reason, they didn't harmonize either. It was just yeah. I'm, I'm a big John Lennon fan and everything, but yeah. I just thought that as a band, the Stones were better. Yeah, you know, I agree, and were more unafraid to be themselves and so that's why you know I try to write honestly when I write songs try to spit it just as it as it is but I you know I, I, I do think about what I write and I, I do uh, you know try to honor my version of the truth at the moment but like I said I, I do evolve and so sometimes looking back on a song I've written it, it may not be quite as true as it once was you know sure. so you could say anything if you had the world as, a, as your stage what would you say if you wanted to be immortalized I guess if I wanted to be immortalized I'd pick a religion yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much okay like with being a finite being. Speaking of picking a religion, if you could pick one heaven, which one would you pick? Do you know? They're all bullshit. I mean, so, you know, it's all cupcakes and pussy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, well, pick your flavor. Christian heaven is like you worshiping all the time and singing praise and shit. And in the Muslim heaven, you get all a bunch of virgins. And then there's some other heavens where nothing really happens at all. It's just sort of blackness. Uh, yeah, I know. Those are ridiculous. Why even try to yeah, offer yeah, me yeah. something that's so, yeah, yeah. you know, Right. So ridiculous. I, you know, that was the thing about the Christian heaven is that, that it's supposed to be the me. most wonderful ever place. And you could just be joyful now, even though all this horrible shit happens to you. Be joyful now because one day you're going to be dancing around on a cloud with Jesus yeah. instead of being here in this miserable fucking shithole with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Stupid, yeah. stupid question. No, nah, I'm very cynical, you know. And I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. You didn't get me on that at all. I didn't get no, that. I tried to wear that on my sleeve, like an old yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I'll be better. Well, what else do you want to talk about, man? What's on your mind? You're an interesting guy. You've always got something cool to say. 
don't know, man. I mean, what would be my message for humanity? What would you tell any potential Secular Hub member that might listen? Um, we get good people, man. I mean, they're normal people. Some of them are poor, some of them are ugly, and some of them are attractive, and some of them are, you know, a lot of really smart ones, too. I don't know if it's smarter than the average church would be, but um, sure seems that way to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of really smart people, a lot of really interesting, weird people, and that are sort of outside the box, you know, and free to be. Um, just, it, it's a good community. I mean, all my friends now, everybody that I hold dear, my chosen family, all were derived from that, you know, resource. Mm-hmm. And um, happier than I've ever been with, you know, socially, with the, the people that I know and that I associate with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really I, good people. I found the same thing. Like, it took me a little while to get going at the hub. Like, my first year, I felt still kind of like an outsider. But then I started sort of getting more involved. Like, I volunteered for some stuff. Mm-hmm. I did the R&R events. I did, you know, some other stuff. And, once you get in and once you make some friends that you start seeing outside of the hub and, and socializing with, it just snowballs after. And then pretty soon you got, you've got something to do every night. It's like every night there's probably something I could do. Yeah. If I reached out and said hello or if, or if people are often inviting me to things. It's true. You know, Chauncey took us out to, to dinner that other night. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, I mean, yeah, you invite me over here to play music all yeah. the time. It's great. I mean, it's just, it's like you got, you get a social life so quickly um, once you commit to that actually going and talking and stuff like that. Yeah, you can meet somebody you like there. That's not a question. No, yeah, that's true. That's true. And the the people there are usually very open to... having new relationship you know uh, um, you know unlike the religious communities where people tend to be they can be guarded they want to draw you into the faith but they don't really necessarily want to be your friend you know because right. um, you're not the same Christian they are or whatever exactly but no it's been a great experience for me and I, I guess I, I was I've been an atheist for a long time but um, when I lived in the Detroit area that I don't I didn't I wasn't looking for an atheist community because I you know you just assume that uh, you're hanging out with other drunks so most of them are atheists Atheist. You know, it's just, you know, it's just how my, my 20s went. You know, yeah. It was rough, rough road. <laughs> rough patch. Yeah. yeah. But here we are now. Yeah. You know, on top of the world. Well, let me ask you this. So, yeah. A lot of people say, oh, you know, what are the tenets of atheism? Or they say, so you believe in nothing when they find out you're an atheist. Um, I don't find that to be true. But what do you, you don't believe God exists or you're not convinced that God exists. Right. Or you believe no God exists. One of those three. And sometimes it, it's one of those three. Yeah, I mean, you know? it can change sometimes yeah, depending on right. mood and depending on where totally. you're at. Depending on need. I've always said, you know, I don't really believe that a God exists. You know, I really think it's bullshit. And I think it's always been bullshit that yeah. is used to manipulate people and blah, blah, blah. However, if I'm ever in a car accident and I'm trapped in there and I'm bleeding and, you know, nobody's coming to help me, I reserve the right in my desperation to call out to whatever force I want to make up. I don't feel at all ashamed to do it. Yeah. I don't think it makes me a bad atheist. No. You know, um, it makes me a normal human because it's not coincidental that 80-something percent, you know, of the world population believe that there's a sky guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not an accident. That's who we are as a species. Right. And that's, you know, you have to you have to reconcile being a humanist and being an atheist because being an anti-theist or an atheist, you know, you're, you have, you're, you're opposing something that's fundamental in humankind or so it's you know and for good or bad that's who we are and you have to take the whole package yeah. so you have as atheists we have to be here's the word transcendent again but the way you love other people is by understanding that they are not um, all as evolved as you and that um, you know some people have weaknesses and pains and desperations that you can't see and the religion may serve them on some level obviously it does or they wouldn't have right. somehow we we transcended the need for religion yeah. somehow we found substitute comforts. Yeah, or no you comfort know? at all. Yeah, Or the comfort in knowing that you're free to find the comfort if it comes along and you're not locked into one particular you know, paradigm for the rest of your life. Because right. obviously, as I said, we, we, we're constantly evolving as people. Why, why would we choose a stagnant or a static um, ideology? It, yeah. it, it will never fit. It's like having a one-size-fits-all pair of shoes. <laughs> right. It's going to work for like, you know, a couple percent of the people are going to be like, see, 
religion is great. See how comfortable these are? My toe comes right to here. Just perfect. And then there's a lot of other people that are going to be like in clown shoes and a lot of others that are going to be limping along, you know, with broken, you know, phalanges or whatever it would be. <laughs> Metatarsals. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think that atheists think about that stuff. I think that maybe religious people sometimes don't try to. They don't. They're, they're so happy in their bubble that they don't consider what life is like outside the bubble. And you know, once they find out that how, how liberating it is to be a moral creature in the sense that you think about what you do mm-hmm. instead of just robotically following some um, mandates, right. you know, from above. You, know? and you start appreciating the nuance in life. Yeah. And then you become, you know, really self-actualized or um, you kind of know who you are. Why well, isn't it that nuance that sets the stage for the moral decision and the moral framework? I mean, it, it should. To grapple with moral issues is to understand the nuance, right? And yeah, to say, right. Well, some things are more uh, involved than other things and some rights are more, um, you know, immutable than others and so yeah. on. Yeah. Not mindless when hungry people steal. Food. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. I do. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a, great, uh, a great example. Yeah. So you mentioned humanism. Just yeah. In your, my rant, in your last read. Yeah. <laughs> so is that what you believe? Is that where you derive a lot of your ethics from? Is uh, the humanist perspe- perspective? Well, I used to consider myself a humanist. Um, I have a shirt I had made. It's got a picture of Darwin with a, you know, doing the shush thing. Yeah. And um, it says humanist, but only until we discover a better species. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's sort of where I'm at. I, I yeah. you know, we have our problems too and our faults and our, I struggle to be a humanist sometimes because maybe it would be better if we were replaced by something better but, uh, or if we weren't so prolific we, we seem to be self-destructive you know yeah. um, but I mean like if there were less of yeah. us like the humanist perspective yeah. is to maximize yeah. um, there should be less of us yeah well-being for as many people as possible but not at the expense of yeah. you know basic human rights right. but the best way that to... sort of leads to a growth model that I don't mm. know that I'm totally comfortable with yeah. I mean at some point fruitful and multiply model is where we've been. Yeah, that's kind of where we are. We need the, you know, if you want to make life precious, make less of it. Yeah. You know? Well, and if you want the earth to be able to sustain and last. Sure. Right? We have to, yeah. at some point, we have to pull the reins. Uh, you know, nature's going to pull the reins for us. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think we're going to pull the reins. I think no, it's going to... Some disease will come along and, and wipe us out. Mm-hmm. But So where do we take okay. comfort then? So now we know that something's going to happen and the, the wave is going to break and there's going to be a huge drop-off in population mm-hmm. at some point. Some kind of plague yeah. or something. Where do you were talking? We were talking about comfort earlier. Where yeah. do you find comfort in, in knowing that? Because I, com- I find comfort in the end of my discomfort. Okay, you know, life is pain for everybody. For every man, woman, and child, life it means pain. Mm-hmm. And you you have a, a choice of you know struggling against it or complying with it. You know, but either way, you're going to have it. And um, you know, uh, you know that song I wrote, uh, Atheist Hymn. Mm-hmm. Um, in there, it says, uh, uh, "In my life, I've seen wars and earthly." earthly pleasures and treasures that my heart cannot afford. Yes, indeed, I meet no manly measure. Being no more is my final reward. To be a, a part of a species that's that's perpetually self-critical um, and, and coming anyway from a religious tradition that teaches you to be ultra um, hard on yourself and to always consider yourself to be, you know, on the hairy edge of, of falling into hell, you know. Um, death is a, is a blessing, for a lack of a better word, you know. Death is the end of that self-doubt, that constant anxiety that humans feel. Mm-hmm. And it's not just me, you know. I know that's why everybody is taking happy pills now because because the human being is not a happy being. It's a it's a, you know, horny being. It's a hungry being, yeah. but it's not necessarily happy because we're smart enough to know how fucked up everything really is. <laughs> and um that, that carries with it, you know, a lot of stress. And so stress has always been part of the human condition, you know, and I can only imagine how much stress there was when, you know, everybody had 12 children and, you know, 40 acres to look after, yeah. you know. And, and not dependable housing. Yeah. I mean, you had to rebuild every two years. D- despite my, my pessimism and my, um, you know, disdain for humanity sometimes, <laughs> I do think that we're getting better. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, probably the best time ever to be alive, to be a human being. Now 
now is the best time to ever do it, despite all the dangers and the and the um, the risks associated with being a modern human and um, what we what we threaten to do to each other and to our species. You know, uh, still the best time. Uh, still, you know, a couple weekends ago, I had four friends come over to my house and we played music and um, the songs that I normally play solo. I got the you know experience as part of a, a four piece you know band with real musicians playing. It was great. Yeah, it was fun. magical for me. But, uh, <laughs> I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. So you know, how can I complain? <laughs> you know, all the all the struggles of my ancestors, you know, have led to me having a really great existence. Mm-hmm. Despite all this shit that's happened in life, you know, I still have my current reality, which is pretty damn good. Right, right. And I think my wife feels the same way. And it, you know, it's a lot easier to get over um, shit that's happened to you in life when it, life turns out great. You know, yeah. so the question is, how do we help other people turn out a great life? That's the, that's the question. Yeah. Because uh, I know they can do it if I. Can. I see, my answer was a lot simpler. It's huh. just I find comfort in the bosom of a woman that loves me. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I would have said. Yeah. <laughs> Yours was much more eloquent. Mine was just, uh, just no. Those do not lack their no, comforting qualities. I mean, I think hair. they were built for comfort. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I agree. Yeah. Men and babies <laughs> share that. You know, all people. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, everybody. Everybody loves titties. Uh, yeah. You know. I mean, finally, somebody don't like it. It's like Reese's cups. Yeah. You know. They're good. Yeah. Just good. No matter which country you go to. <laughs> They're on the menu. <laughs> well, that was my interview with Dan. He is a secularist. He's a humanist. He's an atheist. And he is clearly a very charismatic fella. I was very happy to talk with him. And he and I are still friends to this day. You know, he's probably my best friend at the moment. And, you know, we've had our ups and downs. We've gone through some really good times. We've had some troubles. We've, we've had a lot of things. But one thing that seems to be common between the two of us is that we want to engage with the world in a realistic kind of way. And you can actually build community around that. And that's important. And that's what I was hoping to share with you today. So I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I certainly enjoy hanging out with Dan. I have a guy's night with him once a week. And, uh, you know, we bowl and we play music and uh, we talk and, and all kinds of fun stuff. So it's it's out there for you if you're looking to disengage with your current community. I mean, there's something really difficult and scary and um, uncomfortable when you realize that the people that you're friends with aren't really a good fit. Now, I go through this from time to time. I'm kind of going through it right now uh, with some people in my life. And I've definitely gone through it in the past where I've had to, you know, move on from certain friendships due to betrayal or, you know, just a complete different, like a a total change in personality in, in some cases. Uh, you know, somebody somebody got indoctrinated into a cult that I couldn't I couldn't maintain that friendship anymore. Th- there's all kinds of reasons to to move on from the relationships that you have because they're unhealthy or they're you know abusive in some way or there just isn't enough there anymore to sustain a healthy comfortable relationship. And if you're somebody like me, you value those relationships very much. The ones that are healthy, the ones that do nurture you as a person. And I do my best to inject myself into people's lives in a nurturing and comforting and healthy way. I know I've used those words a lot, so I don't mean to belabor it. But moving on from your current situation socially or communally and into a new one can be really scary and challenging. And especially if you're the kind of person who is in a group that doesn't accept who you are and you know they're not going to. So let's say you're homosexual and you're in a religious group and they don't uh, allow homosexuals. They don't accept you for who you are. Now you're going to go to hell because of what they believe. They believe you are an abomination. But they're all you know. They might be your family. They might be all your friends. They might be your whole community. And so they're all you know. But you should understand that you can completely move on from that situation and find yourself in a new group that is fulfilling and accepts you for who you are. There's a, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of people out there. And many, many of them are willing to accept you for who you are or accept you because you're a lot like them. It's not always just completely selfless. People often, and we, we discussed this for a moment in the audio there, people often are looking for things that they want to get out of a relationship. Like maybe they're a movie buff. So they want to go, they want to hang out with people that like movies and, and know how to deconstruct narratives or, or whatever, right? Those people are out there for you. I'm going to talk more in season three about how to move on from friendships. Specifically, I'm going to explain and express to you how I lost a friend to a 
cult and to uh, basically insanity. I'm going to be talking about that in specific, how he was indoctrinated into QAnon and other cults, anti-Semitic, you know, uh, Alex Jones type cults. But I'm also going to talk about, you know, how sometimes you just move on because of other reasons and you need to develop more as a person. I find in my relationship sometimes, uh, it just sort of runs its course. You grow as a person and that the people you're with don't grow with you or in the same way. And it's not necessarily that you grow apart, right? You still have maybe things in common that you really like, but you're not getting something that you really need. And I find that in my relationships. And so I've had to sort of branch out. And that's part of what I want to do in season three. I'm going to have a few series based on this kind of thing. The one about the cult, losing a friend to a cult. I'm going to talk about what I call casting a wider net, which is expressing myself through just my sort of, you know, ranting. I mean, there's there's a whole set, you know, series of podcasts that I want to do where I kind of just rant and and hopefully it reaches out into the ether and, and helps or touches somebody so that they want to engage with me. But I'm also going to be talking about a series called Redefining Stupid, where, where I discuss how we can sort of weed through some of the folks that maybe we don't need to waste time on because they're stupid. And they're not like stupid, like Forrest Gump stupid, like here's normal and here's your son well below that line. And, and you know, their mom has to sleep with the principal to get him into a normal school. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about people that they get fooled or, or whatever by things. And they, they have, they're smart in some ways and they're really, really dumb in other ways. We're going to talk about that. But that's a little bit off of this topic, but it, it's sort of intertwined in the sense that the kind of people that are going to be smart in the same way you're smart are also going to recognize how to communicate and so on. And I, I'll talk more about that too, about the psychology of it. And I'm an armchair psychologist. I will be, you know, detaching a bit from scientific worldview and into some speculation, but I'll definitely warn you of that. I'm not going to lead you down a, a path of, of quote unquote truth unknowingly. I'm definitely going to let people know, my listeners, that if we're not talking about something I know for sure as a fact, I'm going to hedge on that and say, oh, by the way, I don't know if this is true, but there's an awful lot of stupid out there. And being able to identify it and to avoid it is important. There's also an awful lot of people who just don't have the mental capacity to communicate effectively. They don't understand their own emotions. They're steeped in denial, for instance, or they're very childish. They they never really went through the process of developing an adult perspective, an adult way to communicate with the world around them. I have a friend, for instance, who ha has very, I would say, severe anger issues to the point where people in his life have told him he has anger issues and that he needs to get them addressed. And he's so in denial about these issues that he actually sat down with me one day and asked me if I thought he had anger issues. Now, I wasn't comfortable in the venue that we were in to have that discussion. It wasn't really an appropriate place to have sort of a deep conversation. So I sort of sidestepped the issue and just said, hey, you know, you're not angry at me because I don't represent any pressure on you. You know, we just hang out and, and have fun. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I said to him, you know, yeah, I think it's something you should look into. Like it, maybe it's something you should see somebody about like a talk therapist. But if people in your life are telling you that you have anger issues, people that are close to you, you have anger issues. It's not something people just bring up out of the blue. As another example, well, and just to finish that thought there, my friend is that has these anger issues is so in denial about it and has sort of a, a juvenile way of expressing himself. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of words to, that he uses to, to explain emotion and he doesn't really describe his emotions or engage with his emotions and especially not with other people. He might feel his emotions, of course, but he doesn't, he doesn't bring them to other people and, and try to work through them. So he doesn't have an adult understanding of them. He, he, he hasn't explored them. And I think part of exploring your emotions is to talk about them, to, to bring them to the table with somebody who is educated on the matter, like a talk therapist or, you know, I mean, a friend is good too, uh, but there's only really so much a layperson can do. You, you need somebody who understands, for instance, uh, midlife development in white males. You know what I mean? You need somebody that has a background in behavioral psychology to understand what's going on with you and why you might be having these emotions and how to identify them. I, I know that when I went to talk therapy, my therapist went to great lengths to help me understand which emotions are which and how to choose between the different emotions that I was having. In other words, how to identify them, how to how to express them, how to talk about them in an adult way with an understanding. And then what if the person you're talking to has no understanding that emotions 
are something that occur in your head and you can meditate your way kind of around them. It's not that you're not going to feel them, but you can recognize that you are separate. There's a whole bunch of you that's separate from these emotions. It's not your whole body that feels this emotion. It's a small part of your brain that generates this emotion. And if you meditate on that and on your breath or whatever, if you meditate, you can actually separate yourself from these emotions and just recognize that they are emotions and that they're temporary, that they're going to pass. So if, if you don't have any understanding of any of this, then in what way are you an adult emotionally, right? And I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation. One last example, I dated somebody quite a few years ago now who I actually had to sit down with and say, look, I think there's something wrong with you. Like, I think you have a mental disorder of some kind. Like, there's a chemical thing going on in your brain because she was just so erratic and manic and thing, it just it didn't make sense what she was saying. There, there were these controls that she was trying to place onto me and just wild accusations about my behavior and distrust and paranoia and all manner of psychological issues that would bubble up during this relationship to where I had to say, maybe you should get help. Like maybe you should go and talk to somebody. Maybe you should have some therapy or see if there's a drug. Maybe there's a, maybe there's something you can do that is diag or maybe somebody can diagnose what's going on with you and treat it. And, uh, you know, that didn't go over very well as it generally doesn't, uh, when you try to help somebody in that way. And, you know, that's another example of if you happen to find yourself in that situation and you're trying to reach out to somebody to be honest about your concerns with their mental health, you need to be able to just say it without having some sort of bizarre juvenile response. Uh, you know, she lashed out at me and said she was offended. <laughs> it's like, look, there's nothing to take offense to. Mental health is like breaking your leg. You don't get offended when somebody says, hey, maybe you should go have that looked at. That's pretty swollen. You know, when you see things that seem off in a very real way, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, it's worth going to a doctor. There's no reason to delay. And so, you know, like I said, that didn't go over very well, but but that was a good reason for us to not be together. If, if, if somebody in your life is going to be mentally ill and you bring it up and they're not going to address that mental illness or even acknowledge that it exists or that it could exist, maybe she's not mentally ill, but she could be. And we don't know. Maybe going into a doctor and finding out, no, actually, I'm fine. You know, they did a MRI or whatever, a, a fMRI scan on me and I'm good. My brain is healthy and she can't find anything wrong with me. You know, there's nothing diagnosable. So maybe there's another way to deal with this. Or maybe we're just incompatible, right? So it's not out of the realm of possibility. People shouldn't be so emotionally inept that if you bring up a concern about their mental health, that they think that you've uh, lashed out at them or they think that you've insulted them in some way. That's what it means to be an adult, to be emotionally mature. Now, this is a little off topic from what we just heard, but uh, I just wanted to share this with you. Bye.